um, you, you'll see the, the, the toughest guys you'll ever meet um, be broken by things that happen outside of prison. So, you know, you can cope with anything. You can have riots. You can have, you know, the biggest bully picking on you and things like this. But you get that one letter from outside that tells you something's happened and they'll crumble. You know, yeah. I mean, because it's it's just everything's just magnified and more intense. Or, or you even get a letter from from a loved one or a wife saying that she went out on a Tuesday night, and you just think, why is she going on a Tuesday night? What what's happening on Tuesdays? Oh, maybe she's going to go and see that Steve. He he doesn't work on a Tuesday, you know. And everything. Then suddenly, like just from someone saying, oh, I went out on a Tuesday. Suddenly, in your mind, they fully cheated on you. There's been relationship going on, and you know, because you've just got nothing else to do rather than just dwell and fester on a situation. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it just becomes intense. And that's and that's the same for inside situations as well, as in, you know, someone tells you to shut the fuck up from two doors down. You think, who the fuck is he to tell me to shut the fuck up? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to go and, I'm gonna go and kick the shit out of him in the morning for that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because not only has he told you to shut the fuck up, but everyone on the wing has heard him tell you to shut the fuck up. That makes um, sense. Yeah. And um, there's an interesting thing. I don't know if you'll, <laughs> you'll be able to include it, but he's in prison. Uh, do you know the actor, actor? Was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was in prison with me um, at the same time. I say it with me, with, with yeah. 600 other people at the same time. Sure. It wasn't like he picked to come and be with me at the time, but um, he was in prison because he'd, um, he'd pulled a, a replica firearm or a, he pulled a, some sort of gun out on a, on a, on a traffic warden because um, wow. he was in the school and they were badass at the time. Um, but he ended up in prison from it um, and he, was, he, he, he came down with, it, with us in Portland. And um, because he was seen to be this you know, tough guy, rapper and stuff, they humiliated him. On the wing, and they they just terrorised him, and they would make him sing at the window at night. So this guy, I see him on TV all the time with his acting career, and he's doing a good, a good life for himself. But I've heard him sing "Bad Bar Black Sheep" out the window out of fear, um, because wow. yeah, and it just it become it, you know because they're like oi, you know, and, and suddenly it'll go quiet for a bit. Like, oi, you're a fucking singer, and you sing me a fucking song, <laughs> and, wow. I, and that's exactly what it is. And he's like, because he, you know he might act tough, you know, to sell records and stuff like that. He's not. He's an actor, and he's had a career and all this. You know, sure. he's yeah. playing. He's playing a part to sell records. You know, yeah. And then suddenly you're in the in prison with people who actually live this life. Um, and he, yeah, because you know, I think you know they had him singing out the window at night, singing nursery rhymes and stuff, and. And um, I think he annoyed someone one day, so they just punched him in the mouth. Like first thing in the morning when he came out, they just beat him up, and he went off to another prison. And I think he got out after that. But yeah, no, it's just any, anyone and everyone just gets pulled into this world sometimes. And and it's just you know the, the people who do well in prison sometimes just you know humiliate the people who don't do well. Um, and it's it is tough. Um, you mentioned about the a prison riot as well. So you <laughs> like so you, that was interesting. Yeah, um, the, the, when I went to Portland the first time, um, like I say, I was kind of rescued a bit out of this bullying situation by the fact that there was a riot within days I got there. And the conditions were quite bad there. It was Portland was a young offenders uh, institute, so it dealt with people that were kind of... Um, there was, a, there was a, a, a juvenile wing there as well, so people from kind of, um, I don't know, maybe 15 to, to 18. And then it dealt with 18 to 21, which was the bracket I fit in. Um, the under 18s were the worst because they 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 couldn't get any extra days, so they could be they could go out and fight every day if they wanted to and still get out on their release date. It didn't matter to them. It didn't matter what they did, how bad they were, they still were out on their release date. Um, so they were the they were the nightmares. Um, 18 to 21 was again it was a tough bracket to be in because every day the alarm bell would be going off and you don't realise how bad it is, but every day there'd be fights, violence, um, scores being settled. Um, it made me nervous of being in crowds when I got out of prison um, because you're very protected and things in your cell and, and even at meal times and stuff, there's always 
they put staff strategically everywhere so there's never a blind spot so nothing can ever happen <laughs> yeah. um, so when you're in a crowd um, you're vulnerable because that's when stuff would go off and stuff would kick off and and you get good at reading other people's reactions because um, you watch the eyes of the people around you because the person attacking you will never be looking at you, but everyone else will be watching what they're doing. <laughs> so if anyone else knows that someone's going to attack you, they'll be watching to see what's going on. Sure. So you get good at watching the eyes of everyone else just to see if they're focusing on something so you can see what's going on around you. So yeah. when I came out of prison, I used to become really nervous and, and, and kind of I hated being in crowds. But um yeah, when we, when I first went to Portland, it kind of all kicked off, and then there was there was quite a, a violent riot, and the, the staff were were pitted against um, the the inmates who were throwing pool balls at them and snooker balls and things. And it was it was quite bad. There was you know there was a lot of you know the, the whole prison was shut down for a month, no, a week afterwards. It was twenty four hour bang up. So we only we only came out of our cells to come and get food, and it was um, on a kind of ten by ten ratio. So you only only come out um, things. But yeah, it was just it was it was just. Portland was a very violent place because, like I say, it used to be a young offenders kind of borstal. So they used to have marching. So whenever you came out of the wing, you'd be marching in, in groups of like four by, I don't know, however many. Um, but even though it wasn't a borstal anymore, they would still make you march. Right. Okay. I mean, it would still have quite a hard routine. Um, Portland actually had quite a, a, quite a tough reputation of, you know, producing very tough criminals. Um, and it was, and um, it, uh, they, used to, they used to make you in the borstal days do a circuit every morning. You know, circuit training every yeah. morning, um, and the police had to stop them from doing it in the end because it was producing these criminals that were unstoppable. <laughs> they were producing like gladiatorial prisoners who who were strong and couldn't be caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. um, they used to beat you, um, and uh, and there was there was down at a block, down at the punishment block, um, in the in the thing. It was quite a long, thin building. Um, and there'll be cells either side. It was one story building. And um, there was a line down the middle of the floor. And only only ever went down to the block once there. And it was for quite a minor offence. I had too many stereos in my cell. I had like four stereos in my cell. Because right. I like music and I had different stereos for different things. Um, but it was uh, there was a sign at the end of the walls. And the, and the staff would make you run to the end of the say, follow this line and run to the end of the block. And when you get there, there'll be a sign saying no running. <laughs> and the staff had just told you to run there and read it. And when you got there, you'd say, what does it say? It'd be no running. And they'd hit you for running. And uh, yeah, you just get beaten and things. And and, and it, after, after in kind of the mid-2000s, it kind of slowed down at Portland. And there was a lot of payouts. There were so many payouts for, for people getting beaten in there. But um, yeah, it was a tough jail. And I, I knew from the minute I went there, I didn't want to go there anymore. Um, if they, If anybody had told me in those first two weeks, like, you now have the option to, to leave prison and not go back again um, and never commit crime. I, I would have grabbed their hand and never taken it. Cause it, it was just, it was, it was not something I wanted to do anymore. Portland was a brutal, horrible place. Yes, um, but it's, uh, it toughened me up um, to the point where you had to be there for three months before you could ask for a transfer. Um, by the time I'd got to the three months, the end of the three months, I quite liked it there. Um, wow. from, yeah. From the point it kind of just turned you as in kind of, once you got used to the fact that, it was a, it was a kind of, it was like a bubbling pot, um, and if you knew how to bubble, then you got on all right. Um, but if you didn't, if you were kind of, you know, if you got burned by the heat, then you you struggled. But you quickly learned that you had to be explosive and violent, otherwise everyone just took the piss. Um, and uh, it wasn't, you don't get bullied in the kind of way that you'd expect sometimes. As in, you know, you you, you get told like, give me your money, or you're going to get fucked up. 
Um, you get bullied in the way that people come up to you and they say that, you know, they make friends with you and they kind of be chummy and pally with you. And then yeah. then the next thing you know, that suddenly their family member, their mum, their sister, their girlfriend has, has come down ill. Uh, they haven't got any phone cards and they need to they need to phone home to kind of get in contact. And they'll, they'll take a phone card off you because you give it to them. You think, oh, yeah, no, I'll help you out because you're a nice guy. And then suddenly it's like, you know, they need another phone card and they need something else and they need something else. And then suddenly you're being exploited and you don't even realise it. You're just handing over all your stuff and, you know, to, to a clever bully who's taking it off you without even slapping you around. You know what I mean? And, and it just gets to the point where you just realise and you're just hemorrhaging all this stuff to a, to a bully who's, like I say, just charmed you out of it. You know what I mean? So they're, they're preying on the weak without even really, like I say, raising a finger. Um, and it's your own choice. You've decided to give it to you. You know, so yeah. you quickly become real. You know, when 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 these people come to your door and go, "Oh, have you got this?" You just tell them to fuck off and just say, "No, I haven't." You know, get out of here. <laughs> and you, you put it onto their toes to either be right. Now you fight me for telling you to fuck off, or you just go and try and pick someone who's weaker. Um, and you'll find a lot of people in the prison. They're just sharks, and they're just looking around, sniffing around for that weak person to go and feed off. And if you tell them to fuck off and tell them that you ain't got nothing for them, then they leave, then leave you alone. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're big or small. It happens to everyone. There's no shame in being huge. You know, I've seen some of the, you know, I've seen lads that are six six and and you know twice the size of me getting picked on by five foot one guys, yeah. just because it's it's the attitude. It's nothing to do with your size. It's what you do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's your application of of confidence and what you're comfortable in doing. Um, because, and again, I've uh, talking about getting bullied and things to start off with in those first couple of weeks. So the fact that I became completely comfortable with violence in prison to the point of you kind of learn the rules, as in you learn that you have to just say to someone, you know, you just have to put it on them. You have to put it on their toes and just be like, I'm going to fuck you up. You know, it's me and you now. You deal with this. Or I'm even going to let you hit me first. How about that? How about I'm so comfortable that I'm going to fuck you up that I'll even let you hit me first and then I'm going to savage you. Um, and you have to be able to learn to just get in people's heads like that and just, you know, just take that step away from them and just go, actually, what's, what's wrong with this guy that, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's going to let me punch me in the mouth before I even he even starts on me. Um, and you just have to be able to learn how to get in people's heads like that, and just learn that you know there was there was a lad from Manchester that I, I you know I spoke about, and he was he was um, in charge of the food at the time. And if you don't put in your food choices at, by a certain day, then you end up on ones all week, and ones are the basic crappy vegetarian right. you know crap food. Yeah. Um, so if you don't put your food options in, they give you the vegetarian option all week. Then um, I hadn't put my food choice in on time properly because he'd uh, you know as I was as I was working, it was my fault. Um, but just the way I was in prison, I knew that he hadn't sent my menu choices to the kitchen yet. I know that it was it was handed in the next day. So I said to him, look, you've still got time to change it. And he wouldn't change it for me. And he was acting all tough. He was this badass gangster from from, from Salford. And um, so I just said to him, I was in the middle of getting changed. And he was stood in my doorway. And I just said, look, I've had enough of you. I said, come in here. I'm going to fuck you up now. I said, you're going to change my food. I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> and um, I'd become so comfortable with violence at that point. Like I said, I was in the middle of getting changed. And I had my trousers around my ankles. And the biggest concern at that point was, do I fight him with my pants down or not? <laughs> wow. You know, I wasn't even scared at this point. From the, from the from being a little victim at first, getting terrorised for my pot noodle, um, to the point of taking on a, you know, a Salford Manchester gangster. Um, all over a, a few menu choices um, was yeah. was the, was the journey you take in prison between you know year one and year eight essentially. And that means um, that so you're graduating to a higher level as well. And then you yeah. say about bringing stuff into prison because because there's a I'm guessing there's misconceptions about that as well. I I do wonder how 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 do you how do you get stuff into prison? 
All right, so the, the technology plays a massive factor into it. Um, when we were first bringing phones into prison, um, phones were getting smaller and smaller. They're getting bigger and bigger now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the phones these days are getting, it's not, you know, it's basically an iPad. Um, but at one point in, in the early 2000s and mid 2000s, phones were getting the size of a lipstick. Um, and wow. you could, you could get Nokias that were the size of a lipstick case and you could easily smuggle them in. Um, there's a range of ways of smuggling them in. Um, you can just straight up throw them over the wall. Um, we was in prison in Exeter, um, which is bang in the middle of the city centre. It's literally right across the road from the, the, the train station. Yeah. Um, so you can quite easily get stuff thrown over the wall. Um, it's it's no it's maybe a 20 metre throw until you've hit the side of the wing. And then you just have to get a little hook down on a line and hook it up and drag it back up in through the window. Yeah. Um, you might have maybe 10 minutes before the prison staff see that it's been thrown over. <laughs> yeah. You've got that little window of getting it in um, and, and up and, and away. Um, there's also nowadays they're, th- they're they're doing drones. Um, you've got drones that are flying in over the wall, and uh, the, the 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 guy the boys are just catching it and then taking it in. Um, we used to have prison staff that would bring it in. Um, you bung prison staff a few hundred quid, double their wages for the week, and they'll they'll bring it in for you. Um, you've got uh, we would have methods. So when I was out of prison, obviously I know all the the ways of getting stuff in. Um, so there was a method in one of our prisons that we were in. Um, where you could go and record a, a video for your kid. Say you had a kid at Christmas or something like that. You'd go and record a little video for your kid, going, oh, happy Christmas, blah, 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 blah. blah. And they'd send a little DVD out. Um, when the fam- when the DVD got home, we would say that there was nothing, the, the, the sound is gone, there's nothing on it, and we'd send the DVD back. When you send the DVD back, you'd fill the case full of drugs. So the, like the, the, the bit around the outside of the DVD, yeah. and we'd fill that full of drugs and send it back. Um, and we'd have people that would work in the bins, so they would they would just take the DVD and throw it in the trash. And we would have a lad who worked in the bins in the prison who would then go and get the DVD case out, knowing which DVD it was, yeah. and it would be full of drugs. Um, so there's ways and means of doing that, um, but that, that got all stopped. <laughs> so I'm not giving up anything at the moment. That, that all got yeah. Stopped. Oh no, no. Um, but it's um, yeah, no. It's uh, there, there's 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 ways. And it's it's as easy as like I say, just throwing a tennis ball. There, there was lads throwing rats over the wall, dead rats. Um, recently at a prison and they were shoving drugs into dead rats knowing that the dead rat wouldn't pick up a suspicion because there's dead rats everywhere in prison they're every, yeah. you know um knowing that the staff wouldn't see that and the prison boys would be the ones picking up the dead rats so the, the guys on the outside cleaning team would be the ones picking up the parcels um so there's, there's all sorts there's it's a prison is a leaky bucket um yeah it, it strikes me that within that leaky bucket there's actually a lot of people with a lot of skills as well yeah. because these aren't stupid people i mean that that's stuff that i would never have thought of. <laughs> like, that's very well organized i'm not and, yeah. I'm, and i'm never at any point where i want to sort of glamorize it but no. that that is proper organization it's scary stuff and it's it's, it's an ability i've i was some like i say i was i was um knocking about with some of these lads in prison and they're they're making more money in prison um than now outside of it um, just from selling drugs, um, everything doubles and trebles in price inside. So, for what I would be getting, I'd be making a hundred quid on a you know a few ounces of weed down here. Uh, no, an ounce of weed maybe. Um, you'd make six hundred pound in prison. Um, so if I can get drugs into prison, you know we're all making money. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, so me as a dealer, I'm actually making more than I'd be selling it outside, selling wow. it in prison. Um, some of the open prisons, um, people from the outside are coming to the prison to come and buy drugs. Because it's easier to get hold of at the prison than it is outside in the town, sure. uh, and it's it, you know it's yeah it's just again ways and means and and some of the staff like I say we're, we're, you know 
the staff you speak to in there, you know, you just manipulate them over time and you start chatting to them and this and that. And, you know, they tell you that, oh, yeah, I fucking hate this job and all this and blah, blah, blah. And you just say to them, God, how much do you weigh in a week? And they'll just be like, oh, you know, you know, 300, 350 quid. And you go, well, how about I put 350 quid in your account and you go and meet someone after work? <laughs> and yeah. then, they, you know, if they say, oh, fuck off, oh, I'm only joking with you. And then, you know, like some of them do, some of them take it and they, you know, they, you know, they they fucking they lose their careers and everything over over supplying people like us in prison. I was wholeheartedly. I used to survive just as well in prison as I did out of it, and that was the problem for me. It's because it did, it didn't bother me. Um, I used to just, you know, I, I would spend um, over that ten year period. I spent maybe six eight months outside, so I was I was inside for most of my twenties. Yeah. Um, so I learned to survive inside just as well as I did outside. We was. We were bringing in bottles of Jack Daniels. We were those twenty pound bottles of Jack Daniels to buy. I was selling them for hundred pounds inside. Um, so it'd be just as easy as picking it up, putting it in a Dr Pepper box bottle, and taking it in with me, selling it. There you go, getting my cash, putting it in an account outside. I was getting phones in. We were bringing drugs and porn. Porn is a massive yeah, <laughs> seller in prison. Yeah, is, yeah. So like DVDs of porn and things, you'd be selling them for like twenty quid for a DVD that you just downloaded for free offline. Yeah. You know, you're bringing in five or six of those at a time. Wow clothes i was i was going and buying a whole bag of clothes in in plymouth and then just wearing prison clothes going out and wearing tracksuits coming in and then just giving them away selling them using them as things i had a whole shop in prison we would sell chocolate bars and tobacco and and things like that and like i say i'll be selling my jack daniels and stuff as well but i'd also be selling chocolate that you can't get in prison (laughs) and by this time by this time you had a reputation so you had your shop but you had a reputation whereby no one's going to come and try and steal it from you well that's it because we also had a little firm with us so there would be basically five or six of us who were sort of you know all working together Um, because you can't be on your own in prison um it just doesn't work so we would have like i say that the people from the southwest would stick together um, I would have friends from London, I would have friends from Jamaica, I would have friends from Bristol, Liverpool, everywhere. My network, because I, I was, without sounding sort of selfish or without sounding kind of like bigging myself up, I've always been a straight goer. So I've always been the most honest crook you'll come across. So yeah. if I've, I, before I started, because um, I never used to smoke weed, um, I always used to sell it because it would always make me feel sick. I could never understand. Um, it's because I didn't smoke tobacco and the tobacco made me feel sick. Right. So all my friends, when they were smoking tobacco and cannabis it would make me um, feel sick. So I never used to smoke anything. I used to sell it. So people would give me parcels of drugs to hold on to, knowing that I didn't do drugs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a reputation as being a kind of honest, trustworthy guy because you could just give me a parcel of drugs and I wouldn't touch it because I didn't smoke it. Yeah. But if you give it to any of the other guys, they would. there's a good chance they might do it in because you know they sit there smoking weed all day or they, they do coke all day. But you could give that to me and I, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a problem because you know, I wouldn't touch it. That's um, sensible. So I got an reputation of being a straight goer. So whether it was with the Scousers or whether it be with, you know, the, the team from Nuki or, you know, just anybody really. I, it would always be just I was, an, you know, an honest straight goer. So everyone used to work with me and everyone used to, you know, to the point where afterwards I was always, even when I was trying to get out of everything, people would just come to me and they'd say, look, I need, you know, two kilos of this or I need some of that. And I could just put a couple of hundred quid on top, put these guys together and just take my money from the top of it. And people would come and pay me and just be like, you know, that's it. You know, and that's how difficult it is to get away from it because I could earn a week's wages from a phone call yeah. and none of this bullshit from bosses, none of this turning up straight, none of this fucking getting your tie on and all this rubbish. <laughs> so, you know, I was just, I was earning more sat at home playing Xbox than I would have been if I ever sort of got up at nine to five. You know what I mean? But you did it though, didn't you? Mm. You, you did, you did bring an end to this. And I'm not... And how did that happen? Um, eventually, you have to stop. You know, eventually it becomes too much because you can't you can't sell drugs on the side. You can't you can't just keep doing everything. Um, 
eventually because you're dealing with drug addicts and you, again you're dealing with greedy people um so the people because i'm and again i'm a greedy person so i can't i can't even sit there and do a line of coke anymore because i sit there and if it's good i'm thinking we need to get some more and there's all these people at the party i could sell coke to all these people and i could make fucking 500 pounds a night yeah. <laughs> and that's just for me doing a line of coke i'm suddenly i've spiraled out of control and i can't you know I'm, you know i'm beating up someone dealer next door and i'm doing this and i'm doing that and it's just so I had to just kind of try and scale it down. But you can't sell drugs without being at the parties and you can't do these things without getting involved. And, you know, your, your drug addicts are your best customers. Um, and unfortunately, if you, like, they'll come to you midweek and they haven't got any money. So you have to give them a bit. You have to give them a bit more and then they'll pay you when they get paid on Friday and stuff. Um, otherwise, because they'll go to somebody else. And if they can get a good supply from somebody else, they won't come back to you. Um, so, you know, when I was when I was dealing with people and then you're dealing with scumbags and then you've got to be threatening them again and, you know, I'd find myself kind of, you know, getting into places you don't want to be. Because, you know, I was working and yet threatening to smash someone's head in over the weekend and stuff and going and, you know, uh, going and chase them around with a hammer because they owe you money. And you can't not chase them around with a hammer because they owe you money. <laughs> that must be um, weird if you're then doing doing a an all, you know a more conventional no. job on Monday morning when people say to you, so how yeah. was your weekend? You can't really say, well, I was chasing yeah. someone with a hammer. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a whole horrible juxtaposition because, again, you know, like criminals and, and normal, you know, like drug dealers and, and drug addicts, and they, they don't work nine to five. So they're phoning you at two in the morning going, there's someone chasing me down the street. You need to come and help me. And I'm like, I can't. I've got, got to go to work at six. <laughs> you know, or one of my friends, you know, fell out with some some guys from a traveller site and they punched him in the mouth. And it's like, I need you to come and beat him up for me. And I'm like, well, I can't. I'm in work. I can't just walk out of work yeah. to come and come and fight now. And it's like, all those things I used to do, I can't do anymore. You know what I mean? Like you know, those co- cocaine f- fueled, um, you know, missions and things. And, you know, you just can't do it anymore. And, and in the end, one always overcomes the other. So if you drop everything to go and have the fight, you can't hold down a job. So you have to drop them to hold down the job. So in the end, what I did is I just basically went through everyone that was criminal minded and criminal past and I just cut them all out. And I had to because I had to move away from that life and that lifestyle. Um, because you can't, like I say, you can't hold down a normal life with that kind of chaos. And it came to the point where I didn't, like I say, prison gives you a set of tools that if you can cope with prison, then you can cope in that life. But it doesn't, it's like coming out of the army. You can't cope in real world. You know, after you've been in the army and you've learned how to shoot people, you've learned how to kill, you've learned how to take down an enemy effectively... How do you then go and work in Subway? <laughs> yeah. what, what skill set does it give you? And I, I remember effectively Subway being a massive thing for me because, again, you walk walk along with your tray in prison and you get your slop, you get your, your meat slopped on there, you get your veg slopped on there, you get your potato slopped on there. Um, I went into Subway and I remember freaking out because they offered me a choice and I didn't know how to cope with it. Wow. Um, and I could, I, if you said to me there's someone dealing heroin four doors down, I'll go down there, beat them up, take the money off them now. I don't I don't care if there's seven people in there. I know how to handle that situation. Sure. But if you put me into Subway and asked me to go and get a foot long, I didn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know, whoa, what do you mean? Like, you just you just give me what, I'm, what I deserve. You know what I mean? It was like, wow. I didn't know how to cope with Subway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, so well, that, that's 10 years then of being in yeah. the system though, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, it's, it's kind of being looked after. You don't have to pay any bills. You don't have to pay any rent or anything. And, uh, and it's all very, very easy. Um, you just have to learn how to deal with criminals. And again, like I say, if, you, if you're if you explosive, you're violent, and you just make people aware that you're not easy pickings, and then suddenly you become, you just you just have a very easy time in prison. And it just becomes way too easy to the point where you just sit around playing poker all day, doing drugs, and they're just having an easy old life. And that's essentially why, for the first half of my 
time in prison. I fought and I had a hard time. For the second half of my time in prison, I had the best time of my life. Um, I was, you know, with my pals all the time. It was like being in school. You know, when you've got your, just your pals around you all the time and you just have the best laugh. We used to we used to wind up the prison staff, something rotten, because we could just get away with it. Do you know what I mean? It was... Um, we, we like again it sounds really petty but we, these are the kind of camaraderie things like so there would be an electrician on the wing and he'd have his tools and stuff and he'd be working away and um, as he went into one of the cells we'd shut the door <laughs> so he'd be locked in the cell and then we'd take all his tails and we'd go and all his tools and we'd go and throw them in another cell and we'd go and shut that door so <laughs> and it would just be <laughs> just just be little things of just fucking with people, but just having a great time and just yeah. just you know just messing with things. And it was again like the camaraderie then that you see through those people. Um, I'm still friends with those people now. Um, again, like you would from university or you would from school. Yeah. Um, once you learn how to cope with it and just rise above everything, you can have uh, you know you can have a great time. And it seems really weird that I had a really good time. And that's and that's why you see so many people sometimes go back again and again and again because they know how to cope with prison better than they know how to cope with outside. Um, outside is hard you know inside's easy once you learn how to deal with the violence and learn how to not be a victim inside's easy you know um, but you said you said that you could have been lived off at one point is that what really stopped it yes you? yeah because that that stops you being a loose cannon um i was i was always the person i wasn't the kind of you know like the kind of um i wasn't the, the, the fodder i wasn't the one that was always thrown into the situation so he could go into prison um, but I was always the one that ended up in prison because I was always be like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go and do that. Yeah. Cause I went from being really shy when I first started sort of prison to being really just the completely the other way, just explosive in your face out up front. And it doesn't, it doesn't lead to being out of prison very long. Cause you end up like any, anybody who always says anything, I'm just like, yeah, I'll go and do that. You know, I, I don't care. I'll go and do that. And, uh, yeah. So when I ended up, um, someone offered me a job. They said this this guy offers uh, owes me seventeen grand and he's not paying me because yeah, I did a bit of debt collecting as well. Because sure. obviously, again, it was just all just trying to make money when you can this and that and hustling. So someone goes, "Oh, he's in Red Ruth. He owes me seventeen grand." He goes, "Can you can you go and collect it? I'll give you half." So I was like, "Yeah, why not? Wow. Easy money." Um, I went and kicked the door off. Um, and what I always used to do is wait for them to open the door just a crack and then boot it. So it was, then it would just fly back in the face and I'd just pick up whoever's on the other side and just take them into the house. And um, I picked up this lad and just sort of dragged him into the front room, shut the door. Um, and his missus went mad at me. She jumped on my back straight away. And normally people just stay under control and they kind of, they're afraid and they, but she just went crazy at me. And she was jumping on my back and kind of rolling around. Um, he legged it off. And there was like another bloke in the house as well. And he legged it off. Um, and she was just on my back going crazy. I remember just her screaming at me and scratching me. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I kind of just picked her off and threw her onto the sofa. And I could already hear him on the police. You know, like he was running upstairs. I could hear him on the phone to the police. Okay. And I was just, oh, this is just going wrong uh, right from the beginning. And more and more stuff was was going wrong for me in my in my kind of criminal career. So when you when you first start, you get caught for nothing, you know, and then you suddenly get caught, and then you you show up on the police radar. So you you start getting caught more and more, and then by the end of it, the police know anytime there's anything going wrong, they'll come and see me because I'm generally something to do with it. Yeah. yeah. And, and and then so it just becomes harder and harder to become a criminal because you're on the police radar. Anytime they do anything wrong, they come and see you. So even if it's not you, they generally catch you doing whatever you're doing at the time. Yeah. Um. So I was, you know, I was, I was just, it just this was just all going wrong, and I was just thinking, this is, I've had enough of this. I, I went to go and leave the house. I'd, I'd got a hammer in my hand. I've come to go and terrorise this guy and just get him to pay his debt, blah, blah, blah. And it's all gone wrong. I can't can't control the situation. Um, so I've gone to go and leave. But it turned out, I didn't know this, but at the time when, when he was phoning the police, the police were at the end of the road. There was a car driving past the end of the road at the time. 
Um, so as soon as he's got onto the radio, he's just turned around and come straight round to the front of the house. So as I've gone to leave, there's a policeman at the front door. Um, I've I've punched the policeman um, and I've left and I've run off. And uh, I was I was chased through town and um, there's about five or six different police that chased me. Um, they because I, I was quite fit and strong at the time, I was just able to outrun them. I thought it was all the same guy. So quite funnily, I was um, I was running putting in Linford Christie times um, and then just looking over my shoulder and then there was the policeman just slowly jogging. Oh, fucking hell. So I run again, do a few more laps and, you know, and then look behind me and there's just a policeman slowly jogging. I'm like, how are you keeping up with me? <laughs> so I do a few more turns and I run again and then just look around and there's just a policeman slowly jogging. How is this even possible? I didn't realise it was three or four different policemen. <laughs> They'd each just come out. Of the, I'd, I'd lost one of them and another one had pulled up in a car and chased me and I'd lost him. And then another one had pulled up in a car and I'd lost him. Wow. I ended up hiding in a garden um, and I hid down behind this little wall and uh, I could hear the police going garden to garden searching for me with this dog. Um, and uh, they came into the garden I was in and I was down behind this little two foot wall just hiding just underneath the kitchen window. Um, and the dog come into the garden I was in and it went for a dog in the garden next door um, and the, the, the policeman grabbed it and, uh, and and spoke to this old lady and she was like oh no 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 I've been putting out my washing there's no one there's no one here so the police went out and carried on going searching garden I was so lucky um, I got away with it at that point but they picked me up on CCTV uh, later on and even it, even though it had been sort of two or three years since I'd been in trouble um, the police were just like that's 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 him you know what I mean it's so even though I was just so known that I could just be picked up at any point on any camera and just yeah. be found. Um, so they come and found me eventually and they, they locked me up and, uh, you know, I, I ended up um, going to court. And uh, they said because I'd been arrested for a violent crime in the past and then I'd punched the police officer and I'd also chased someone around with a hammer. That would have been my third violent offence. Um, and at that point, they were dishing out these um, uh, indeterminate life sentences. So they were just banging people away for life. And then you kind of work to get out. <laughs> yeah. So there was no end date. You were just in prison and they, they told you when you were f- free to get out. Mm. Um, so I was sat in the police cells, in the, in the court cells, and they said to me, you, you qualify for one of these new sentences where you're never going to get out. And I was just like, hold on, this is, no, that's not, you know, at best I've punched one person. <laughs> I've yeah. done worse than that this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to send yeah. me away to life, you know, for life for this. Um, and my solicitor was like, yeah, three strikes. You know, you've had a violent offence in the past um, and now chasing someone around with a hammer and then punching a copper, that's it. You're, you're right. gone. And they won't give you a release date. You'll just, eventually you'll just have to keep seeing probation and they'll just work out when you're free. Um, I had a couple of other friends who were, who were doing these sentences and they were away for maybe eight or nine years before they got out. Um, so, and, and, and again, there's there's no... There's no time scale, so you can't say, right, I'm out in four years and, I'm, and I can start living my life again. There's just nothing. It's it's an indeterminate sentence. They've got rid of them now because they were unjust. Yeah. Um, but at that time, people were getting them left, right, and centre because it was it was you, you were getting in pub, uh, imprisoned for public protection, which meant that you were you you know you you justified your you know your your right to be imprisoned indefinitely for the public protection and. You know, the government at that time thought they were doing the right thing, but you know, it wasn't. It was a vote winner, but it was <laughs> it wasn't quite legal. Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, yeah, I was on trial for that. Um, essentially, they, 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 when you kick in someone's door, even if you don't walk out with their telly, it's technically burglary. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone's in the house, then they call it uh, aggravated burglary. And because I'd gone in there with a hammer, it was aggravated t- burglary with intent of GBH. Okay. So that's the charge they gave me. Um, and I'd remembered seeing 
um, you, you've spoken to Dave Courtney before. Um, yeah. I remembered seeing from his books and another people's that you just need to give them a bit of wiggle room. You just need to give them a story and let them prove otherwise. Yeah. Um, so I, I just basically said there in, you know, I went in there for a cuddle <laughs> with my with my hammer. Um, I went in there to go and scare him and, and, and you know, and, uh, and, and teach him the error of his ways from selling drugs. And it worked um, because there is no crime of going in there to scare someone with a hammer. So when the when the judge sat in front of the jury and said um, that you need to be sure that Adam went in there to go and beat him with this hammer, um, and I'd stood up there and said that I was only going to go in there and scare him with it, um, there was no evidence, no physical evidence to suggest that I was actually going to beat him with the hammer. But if I say I'm going to go in there and scare him with him, then then yes, the jury believed me, and because I didn't actually hit anyone, I, I, I managed to get away with it. Um, I didn't get the life sentence. Um, I did, however, get in got. Uh, as a sentence for the punching the policeman on the way out, I um I got a what they call a an extended sentence for that, which was almost three years, and they made me do every day of it. So rather than getting out on the halfway point, um I had to do every day of that almost three year sentence for um for punching the policeman, which I regretted so much. If I'd pushed them or just barged into them or shimmied round them, I would have walked out the day they gave me the not guilty. Um, yeah. But because I did that, I had to do that, that, that almost three years in prison um, for, for, for one punch. Um, and was that enough then at the end of that just to say, right, I'm done with it? Yeah, yeah. Because again, like I said, the police were just on my case all the time. Um, I was getting my door kicked in quite a lot. Anytime anything would happen, they'd come and kick my door in. Um, and they see it as interference. Even if they know you're not doing anything, they just come and interfere with your life. Knowing that you, if, they're, if they're messing with you, you're not committing crime. Um, they would come and steal from me. Um, so they would they would search my property, and I would because I was selling drugs. I would have bundles of cash everywhere. So I'd yeah. and I'd hide it in behind the sink, and I'd hide it in behind the fire there, or something like that. And they'd come and search my property, and they wouldn't find anything. And then when I leave, I'd realise the money had gone, um, or I'd realise you know six hundred pounds gone from under the sink. And you know they just you know, <laughs> they don't, they don't they, you know it's, it's again it's taxation. <laughs> You know, you can't say anything. Um, and the policeman's just bought himself a holiday <laughs> for him and the missus. Um, and it's, you know, I've, I've, I, I have no trust for the police and anything like that. It's, it's, you know, they're playing a game, we're playing a game. And it's, you know, no one can say anything because <laughs> you're both in the wrong. Um, but, um, yeah, it just gets to the point where it just becomes too much. And, you know, like I say, I met my wife and she didn't want to, uh, didn't want to live like that anymore, really. Um, that is perfect. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I found it utterly compelling. So thanks again to my guests for being so candid and for making me welcome and for being so insightful. If you could leave a review on iTunes, that would mean an awful lot to me. Please like, share and spread the word because I want to continue doing this and I really want it to grow. And it is gathering momentum and that is thanks to you. So thank you very much. Thanks again and I will speak to you again.